Hey guys, and welcome back to the You Don't Want to Know podcast. Happy St. Patty's Day to everybody. Today, I will be talking about the Huzak Tunnels. But, like the most of the podcasts, I should say, I will be starting off with a movie, and this week's movie was Malevolent. Now, Malevolent was made in 2018, and the summary of it is, a brother and sister team that fabricate paranormal encounters for cash get more than it bargains for when it takes a job in an estate with real paranormal activity. No. (sighs) This movie. Don't recommend it. Definitely not a good watch. So, I think I chose it because I really liked the main character. She was in The Black Widow. She was like the sister. Um, what was her name? Let me look it up. It was Florence Pug. I could be saying that wrong. I didn't look into it. But very disappointing. I also watched her in Midsummer, And it was a good acting job, I guess. But the movie, I did not like it at all. I feel like I'm going to get ripped apart for that one, but say what you will. I did not enjoy that movie. I actually watched it with my aunt and my mom. So if you've seen that movie, you know how mortifying that would have been. Oh my gosh, I don't even, I I can't even go back to that memory because it's so traumatic for me. Like, oh my gosh. But she was in this movie and she was the sister that was supposed to see all the paranormal activity I was really confused the whole movie. I wasn't sure what she was trying to go for with her accent because at some points she definitely had one and then at other points there was nothing there. So I was just really confused about that. Another weird thing about the movie was that it happened like mostly during the day. So that was super interesting to me because normally that doesn't happen. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Bo Burnham or like heard of anything that he does but there was a stand-up bit where he was talking about like country music and how all they do is basically like list off the things that like sound country so like drink a beer on my tailgate got my dog by my side fried chicken on Sunday fishing at night like that's a country song because you just listed a bunch of stuff That's how I took this movie. I felt like they just like listed all the things that they thought were scary, put it together to make a scary sandwich, and that was malevolent. Um, They really didn't build up a story, which I guess isn't really important to scary movies so much, but I mean, I'm still here for the story. I like to know what happens, Um, but they really just jumped into it. Um, A very good amount of cheap jumps, though. It got me a couple times, I think, but not worth the watch honestly it was very predictable and there was a point in the movie where I had no idea what they were saying because they were so whiny when they were speaking and I was like I know I'm supposed to hear what they're saying and it's probably important but I have no idea what you're saying quick side story I love these bubbler seltzer waters this is not an ad I don't have any sponsors at all but I drink them all the time and It is a horrible idea to drink them before the podcast because I keep burping and I keep having to stop and like edit it out because I can't stop burping. So note to self. Um, Back to the movie though. 
everything just happened at once and it was kind of overwhelming and I'm so confused on like what was going on. I wasn't sure who was a ghost or who was a person. I still don't know. I really don't. The funniest part to me though was this guy broke his ankle and don't get me wrong, it looked horrible, but after breaking his ankle, apparently he lost all (laughs) control or like mobility of his legs and could only army crawl until he got a cane. Then he could basically walk on it. So that was kind of weird. Very anticlimactic final battle scene. (sighs) Just 10 out of 10, don't recommend. Like, save yourself the trouble. Don't watch it. (laughs) Don't ruin yourself because, oh man, that was however long that movie was, like an hour and a half probably. Never going to get that back in my life. So definitely watch other things that she's in because like she's a great actress but like that movie was not good but that was my recommendation if you ever want me to watch any other movies totally email me the ydwk podcast at gmail.com now the fun part or the i wouldn't really call this fun i mean it's enjoyable i feel weird saying it's fun Now we're to the part that the podcast is really about, the story. Let's get uncomfortable. So, like I said, I'm talking about the Who's Act Tunnel today, and I just decided to fully immerse myself in the history and how it was made. Now, Who's Act was uh, translated in two different ways. It's either like pile of rock or sketchy place, essentially. Those are, like, the two definitions of it. So, people really, really lean into, like, the scary place, or it's something like that. I guess I could look it up really quick. One moment, please. All right, just looked it up, and it's literally just place of stone. So, any other, like, definitions are bogus, because I heard that it was also, like, something along the lines of, like, spooky place or whatever, but that's just to add on to the lore of the tunnel. So I'm actually like pretty excited guys. Um, Backstory about these past two weeks. I have been trying to find a paranormal paranormal story for a very long time. I feel like every single time I find something, it's like not worth reading, you know? Like I'll Google something or I'll stumble across something And it's like a quick little story that seems super bogus and not fun. So I have no idea how people find these paranormal stories. But somehow, magically, the Hoosack Tunnel just like plopped in my lap. So that's how I got here. Very pumped about it, but I don't know how many paranormal stories I'm going to be able to do just because like they're super hard to find apparently. And I feel really bad. But I am a true crime podcast technically, so... Yeah, take what you can get, I guess. Now to the story. So the plan for the railway was proposed in 1819, and it was turned down pretty darn quickly just because it was uber expensive. This guy, like, set out and mapped it out and everything, and all of a sudden there was this big frickin' mountain in the way. That was the Hoosack Mountain. And he was like, well, this is gonna be pretty tricky because we have to cut a hole right through it and there was like a guy who quoted this he's or he said this and it was quoted a lot it was like it was like the midway railway whatever was pointing right at the Hoosack tunnel 
And the one guy goes, could he point a hole through it? And I'm sure they all chuckled in the olden days, but it's not very funny right now. So whatever. Um, so that was the biggest issue and they just kind of put it aside, but this tunnel would be like super awesome or this railway, I should say, would be super awesome because it would give places more North because this is in New England, um, a chance to like travel and trade their goods through the train. So people never like forgot about it. In 1841, Alva, Alva? Yeah, Alva Crocker, um, he was the owner of a paper mill, and he lobbied to, like, bring this back up, the railroad. Now, the railroad, like, the mountain and everything that was the issue, it's located, and I believe this is pronounced Berkshire? Berkshire? I don't know. It's one of those two. I feel like it's pronounced a bunch of different ways, but there's, like, one way to pronounce it in New England. Um, that's where the Hoosac Mountain range was located. The total length that they would have to drill through was 25,031 feet. So that would be roughly 4.47 miles. And it was built to be a part of the Springfield Guilford rail line. Spoiler alert, because it did get built somehow. It took 25 years to get through that tunnel in order to build it. It took 195 lives and it injured 30 people. So needless to say, this was a pretty rough journey. So it kind of makes sense why like everyone's so spooked out about it and thinking that it's haunted and all that fun stuff. But in 1848, the plan of the railway was set with a budget of $2 million. And this is in 1848. So Two million dollars is a lot for us. Imagine what it would be then. I think it was like 52 million. Eh, I don't even know. But you can do the math if you really want to. So, <laughs> by January of 51, so 1851, they were baroque. And like I said, so that was three years. It took 25 years to make. So that came up pretty quickly. Now, even though they were broke, this guy came up with this cutting machine. He called it the Wilson's Patented Stone Cutting Machine. And it was built to like cut through stone, as the name implies. The person who was like in charge of the plans, whatever, he thought this would be a great idea. Like spend however much money, and I believe it was $25,000, to use this machine to cut through the stone of the mountain. And then boom, done, all good, we're good to go. The plan were, uh, was for the stone cutting machine, the patented stone cutting machine, to cut through the tunnel in 1,556 days. Let's just say that the stone cutting machine had other plans. In 12 feet, it stopped working and it essentially stayed in the hole that it dug for itself. So it literally dug its own grave for years. It was there for years. It didn't stay there forever, but it was there for a long time. Smart for the, smart of them, they did it in like a test area. That wasn't the actual area where they were going to like dig the hole for the start of the tunnel. So they didn't have to move it, which was nice, I'm sure. So as a joke, they called that hole where the machine lied the false start. Now, the second idea was 
a little bit more successful, uh, they decided to construct this type of drill. So think of it as like a giant drill, but it's not like electric because it was the 1800s. Um, the way it worked was, like I said, imagine a really big drill. And instead of pushing a button to make the bit, which is like the metal piece that goes in the drill, um, spin, they had to hand spin it. And the thing, instead of like using your body weight or using your muscles to push it in, they used explosives to push it in. So they're hand spinning it and explosion is explosion. Wow. I'm okay. The explosion was pushing it forward. Now I could be very wrong with that, but that was my understanding. So I apologize if I'm wrong. I take full credit. Um, Do your own research if you want to know the truth. I feel like I'm wrong because that sounds super dangerous. But after reading the story, they basically said that everything they did was dangerous and there was no good way to do this. So once again, they ran out of money in 1856 and had to stop working. But somehow they hired this man, Herman Hopped. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, he was going to be in charge of like everything. He was the engineer for the rail- railway. And like I said, he essentially ran every single portion of making this hole. (laughs) He was in charge of the hole digging or the hole making, whatever you want to call it. Now at this money, (laughs) this money, at this point, after they got money again, they started to build and a new problem came up because why not? There was this thing called uh, porridge stone, which was basically like, when you scooped up stone and threw it out you turn around and it looks like nothing happened because a bunch of rocks just fell in your place and you're you have the same amount of rocks in front of you so I don't know where they got porridge stone from but yeah it's basically like the song that never ends but with rocks so that was not a good time they figured out that they had to lay like six to eight layers of brick to support the wall so the rocks didn't just keep falling which means more time and money and more headache. So they started building that layers of bricks in order to like help out with the porridge stone. Then another issue came up, of course, because why not? You had your porridge stone on one side, and then you had the ridiculously strong like hulk of a stone stone on the other side. And it was too strong for the blasts, or at least it took a lot of effort in order for it to like fall apart from the blasts. So that was just a super fun time. So Haft bought another machine, like the stone cutting machine for the same price and the same problem occurred. Um, So by 1857, they had dug, drum roll please. I don't know if you can hear that, but I'm drumming. 80 feet on the west side. And the west side is the problem side. That's the side with the hard stone and the um, porridge stone. So Haft had to be like creative and he came up with different ways to kind of help aid in this issue. Now, I tried to figure out what it was that he did and I have no idea how this would help because I am not a digger. So I will just kind of give you a rough explanation and hope you understand it and hope it's correct. So they had made shafts, I guess, and... It's either like to put the stone away to make it quicker or somehow it helps cut the stone. I don't know. 
but they made a shaft, or they wanted to make a shaft, 300 feet long with two heads to help chip away at the stone. It was a good idea, but the they had to make it even longer because the porridge stone was so bad. So however that affected it, they had to extend it 2,500 feet. Well, they extended it to 2,500 feet. So a lot more than what they were thinking. On the east side, so that's the good side, they didn't have as many issues, and they made it 1,810 feet. So a lot better, but this is when it starts to get like a little little messy. So let me let me spill some tea for you really quick. So I told you um, this was a part of a different uh, of certain railroad. Well, the Western Railroad wasn't happy about this production. I don't know why. I don't know if it was like a part of a different group and the Western Railroad was a part of the opposite group and they just had a lot of beef, whatever it was. They were not happy that it was being made. And the governor, Frank W. Bird, he was on the side of the Western Railroad. So he was like, you know what? I'm gonna help you out. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna screw it up. So that's what he did, which like, what is your problem, guy? Like, sit down. You're causing a scene. So he would send bad engineers on purpose to derail. I'm assuming everyone's laughing and that's why I'm pausing because that was a pun. (laughs) To derail the process. And this was very, very, very frustrating. And this like actually caused Hap to leave because he was super pissed off. And this was in 61, 1861. And he stepped away to do stuff in the army, actually to build another railroad in the army. So this made the governor happy, which like is insane to think about. It would, the governor would get involved in this stupid crap. Um, he actually published three pamphlets, like basically trashing Hapt. The first one was called The Road to Run. The other one was The Great Boar. And then the last one was Fact versus Illusion, which like seems pretty dirty. I couldn't find these, but I also didn't look very hard. So someone might be able to find them. I don't know. But Haft actually struck back and he made a pamphlet of his own, The Rise and Progress of the Hoosac Tunnel. So he clapped back hard with another pamphlet, which is hilarious to like think about just because like they're sending pamphlets back and forth to each other. Because I just like imagine someone aggressively writing and being all pissed off and then giving the pamphlet away and like cooling down whatever and then he gets another pamphlet and it's just it's stupid but it's funny it's just whatever so that was basically the end of Hapt in this story um but without him the digging like totally stopped um leaving it at 200 and excuse me 2400 feet on the east side and (laughs) uh measly 610 on the west side so like i said the west side is the tough side so it's just not making great progress so august 18th of 1861 the railway uh the people who were like funding it couldn't make their payment so the state took over and this is when they really rolled up their sleeves and put it into gear because for the state it was a great thing that means more business would come through. So they were really pushing to get this done. They did this huge report on all the work that had been done. And it came up 
not great to say the least. It uh, did not pass with flying colors. Um, it basically said that Hap sucked and they were happy he was gone. He did not follow any of the engineering guidelines, so they literally had to redo every single thing he did. And they had to like make the tunnel longer or excuse me, wider, and it was just a mess. So luckily, like it's not something like, oh, you made a bridge and we have to do redo the bridge. It's like you made a hole and we have to fix your hole. So I imagine that's a little bit easier to fix. But the state basically said that happed your trash and we're glad you're gone. So this is where it gets a little tricky because they used a lot of complicated explanations for these things. But they basically came up with a new way to start digging through the tunnel. And they put a new guy in charge, Thomas Dawn, maybe is how you say his name. Um, so I'll just call him Tom because Tom seems pretty chill, chill. He probably would be cool with that. Um, he was put in charge July 1st of 1863. Uh, Thomas, Tom, uh, seemed more qualified and he actually wanted to get stuff done. He had, um, he always had guys working around the clock and he had a few different ideas that are extremely over my head that I have no idea how to explain. So I'm sorry, Tom, you're a cool dude. I'm sure we'd be tight, but I have no idea how to explain what you were trying to say. But while all this is happening, the Civil War started and the progress started to slow down. By 1864, they had added 1,145 feet. So, good, bad, who knows? Not me, I don't know how long it takes to drill a hole back then. So from 64, 1864 to 66, they had come up with new ways to drill into the mountain. And they built this like crib dam thing for the rocks just to make it easier to dispose of them because you know they're building a tunnel or drilling a tunnel so they had a lot of extra rocks so they started to throw them in there and to help with the porridge rock issue um tom hired this guy bn farin to create that brick wall that surrounded the the tunnel for that issue so the pipe would be 883 feet long they were also making like these archways in places that weren't as like sturdy and they used brick for that too. So at the end of the project, they came up with the number 6,690 bricks for the whole project. So who knows? I don't think they ever like actually counted them all, but that's what they came up with. By 1867, the crew was digging 80 to 100 feet a month which is pretty great, I think. July 31st, they had fixed almost all of the screw-ups that Hap made. So essentially, they were back to the beginning and had everything fixed, whatever, which like really sucks. After all that time, they just didn't make any progress. They just fixed the previous work that was done. Now that same, that same year, um, the state was really, really, really getting on Tom for all of the deaths that were happening. You know, people, it's just a dangerous job, you know, like people were just dying with like rocks falling on them or fumes, just things like that. And they were dealing with a lot of explosions and it just got to Tom because everyone was on him. So he eventually was replaced by C.P. Granger. 
and Granger was put in charge of uh, the engineering of the tunnel, just like how the last two people were. Now, like I said before, there were a lot of deaths, and they were especially prominent in the central shaft, and they actually called it the death trap because it took so many lives, and it was actually getting to the point where, like, the men working on it thought that spirits of the people that died were stuck in that tunnel, and they said that they could hear men, men's voices crying out in agony, and the um, the workers would not go into the dark parts of the tunnel, so it just got really hard to work in there just because they said that they were hearing and seeing things, and at this point in October, um, October 17th of 1867, the worst tragedy of this whole project happened, and it was in the central shaft. And if you guys forgot, the central shaft wasn't actually the tunnel that would be used for the train tracks. It was just the way to help chip away at the main tunnel. So 13 men were working in that area, and there was a gasometer that was left, and it was leaking fumes. And those fumes eventually came in contact with a flame from a candle and created this huge explosion that sent the workers flying and a bunch of newly sharpened tools that they were using started flying at them as well. And all 13 men died of either suffocation or they died in the explosion. So two hours later, the other men came and one guy was sent down to that tunnel to help them. So I have no idea how these worked, but apparently like it was a hole in the ground and they like would send a guy through because of the way it was explained. So I still don't know what a shaft is, but I'm guessing it's like an underground tunnel. So picture it that way. So the guy goes down, he's like dropped down with a rope and instantly he's like tugging on it and telling them to pull him back up. And he comes out and he's gasping for air and he just goes, no hope. And they nicknamed the tunnel or the pit, the shaft, the bloody pit because of that. This stopped the production for a whole year in the central shaft, at least. And once they um, finally started up production, they saw the water come into it and they saw bodies floating in the water because the water came from the dam that they were using for the, the rocks. So in August of um, 1868, on the 23rd, the tunnel was finally finished, but the tracks were not yet finished, so they still had to keep building. And after many, 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 many issues, just to get that in there, uh, the track was finally finished April 19 of, wait for it, 1869. Um, and almost immediately, another issue came up. That summer, a flood came and destroyed a lot of the tracks. So even God was saying, stop frickin' building this railway. It's no good. Just give up. But they didn't listen, because no one ever listens. And they fixed it and had it back up and running by July 4th of the next year not the same year. They were still working on projects around the tunnel though. Like they, um, wanted to make sure it was totally sturdy and everything like that. 
they would continue to um, make offshoots for the tunnel and they've made their final blast of the tunnel on Thanksgiving Day of 1873 and it was like a big PR event it was very exciting there were cameras blah 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 and November of 77 so that would be four years later it was fully opened every offshoot tunnel and everything but they still were working on it a little bit here and there like eventually they added lights but they would be quickly removed because of the water that was dripping in they would go short a lot there was also a lot of smoke coming in so they put in 16 foot fans to kind of help relieve with that and by 1910 so long ways after they took out all the wood burning stoves and replaced them with electric things to help power whatever they needed and this helped with the smoke issue um by 18 or excuse me 1958 they actually stopped having passenger trains come through because there were probably better forms of transportation at that point in 1973 all the train tracks were replaced with welded rails and that just updated it i guess at the end of all this horrible chaos that was building this railway it had served its purpose and it was used so much that they had to find a new power source to draw more power to it just because there was so much traffic because it was used so much and up until 1916 it was the longest running tunnel in america but not in the world there was another one somewhere else eventually they um made a longer hole in like the rockies i think but that is the story of the Hoosac building railway, digging a tunnel, whatever you want to call it. Now, the spooky stuff. And I hope I wasn't too boring with that, but I just felt like it was important to learn all the stuff about it and just really appreciate it for what it really is. Now, uh, March 20th of 1865, so we're going back in time, they had experts on explosions because that seems like a good thing to have um, when they were doing it so much. Their names were, their last names I should say, were Kelly, Brinkman, and Nash. Now they were setting up the explosions and as they were going to their like safe area, Kelly for some reason set off his bomb prematurely or his explosion prematurely and no one really could figure out if it was an accident or on purpose. But unfortunately, the explosion killed Brinkman and Nash. A few days later, Kelly goes missing. And they couldn't find him for a year and ten days after the explosion. They found his body in the exact same spot of where Brinkman and Nash's body were. Well, roughly the same spot. He was strangled to death. A sheriff um, examined the body, which, like, I don't know if they meant to say sheriff or whoever looked at the body, said that he would have died between the hours of 12 a.m. and 3.30 that day from strangulation. So he was missing for a year and 10 days, but he died the day he was found from strangulation. That's uh, pretty spooky, if you ask me. And the workers of the mine, they believed he was killed by the spirits. Now, Eventually, these two men who were like highly respected cavalry officers came to see the progress of the tunnel. 
It was Paul Travers and Mr. Dunn. Um, they would kind of go around talking to the men who worked at the tunnel, and they were told that, like, the men would not work after a certain hour just because it was dark and it was too scary. So eventually they were like, let's check it out because they didn't really believe anything. And this is a quote from one of the men. I think it was Mr. Dunn. He says, nope, just kidding. It was Paul Travers because the first sentence is last night, Mr. Dunn and I. So Paul saying this, um, last night, Mr. Dunn and I entered the Great Tunnel at exactly 9 p.m. We traveled about two miles in the shaft and then stopped and listened. Oh my gosh, why would... This is not him saying this. Why would you want to travel two miles into there and then stop? Like, I would go maybe a half mile. So as we stood there in the stone-cold silence, we both heard what truly sounded like men groaning out in pain. As you know, I heard the same sound many times during the war. Yet, when we turned up the wicks of our, on our lamps, there was no human being in the shaft except Mr. Dunn and I. I'll admit, I haven't been this frightened since Shiloh. Mr. Dunn agreed that it wasn't the wind he was hearing. Perhaps Nash and Brinkman, I wonder. So, like, oh my gosh, put yourself in their shoes. Being in the middle of a tunnel, or obviously it's not the middle, but two miles into a pitch black tunnel at, like, at this point, probably 9.20 at night, because I'm assuming they're not running these two miles, and that's, well, it's probably like 9.30, because it takes even longer to walk the mile, or two miles, and you just hear this groaning men, or like these men in pain, and they turn out their lights, and there's nothing there, no one around them that they can see. I think I would just die. I don't think I could survive that. <laughs> like, I think I would just instantly die of fear oh my gosh no thank you those men were hard like as hard as you can get so that happened great story um fast forwarding to that um incident where the 13 miners died october 17th they didn't go in the pit where they died for a whole year and during this whole year the men would see like what they think was apparitions wandering around in the snow. And this is a quote. The ghost apparitions would appear briefly and then vanish, leaving no footprints in the snow, giving no answers to the miners' call. So they would be carrying around like tools and everything like that, and they would just vanish in the snow. Or like vanish and there would be no footprints or anything like that. So this was all going on, and a year after the explosion, they finally went into the tunnel. And what they found breaks my heart. So, like I said before, or I don't know if I said this, but water filled up that area where the explosion was. And they found bodies floating in the water. And they also found a makeshift raft. So they had, ex they had survived the explosion. And they died of suffocation from the fumes. And they lived long enough to like make a raft so they could float. But no one ever came down because the guy said that there was no hope. So it just kind of breaks your heart, you know? Once they finally opened up that hole and they buried all the men that were in there, the sightings of everything, all the ghosts walking around, kind of came to a halt. But the men still heard all that groaning and 
men moaning in pain. And there was actually another account of a ghost sighting. Now, there was an Owens and Mr. McKinstry, I believe is how you say his name. Um, They had a, a quote, and it goes, James and I stood there talking for a minute or two, and were just about to turn back when suddenly I heard a strange, mournful sound. It was just as if someone or something was suffering great pain. The next thing I saw was a dim light coming along the tunnel from the western direction. At first, I believed it probably was a workman with a lantern. Yet, as the light grew closer, it took strange, took on strange blue color and appeared to change shape, almost into the form of a human being without a head. The light seemed to be floating along about a foot or two above the tunnel floor. In the next instant, it felt as if the temperature had suddenly dropped to a cold, icy chill, and a cold, icy chill ran up my spine. The headless form came so close that I could have reached out and touched it, but I felt too terrified to move. Oh my gosh, I can feel the intensity of this moment. Okay, keep going. For what seemed like an eternity, oh gosh, what's his name? McKinstry and I stood there gaping at the headless thing like two wooden Indians. Horrible thing to say. The blue light remained motionless for a few seconds as if it were actually looking at us then floated towards the east end of the shaft and vanished into thin air. I am above all a realist, nor am I prone to repeat gossip and wild tales that defy any reasonable explanation. However, in all truth, I cannot deny what James McKinstry and I witnessed with our own eyes. Oh, that was very dramatic. I, like, have chills from reading that, but that sounds horrifying. Oh my gosh. But it doesn't stop there. February 9th of 1875, a local hunter said he heard voices that were like luring him into the tunnel. Something took his rifle as he got into the tunnel and beat him with it. And he was found on the shoreline, beaten, with no memory of leaving the tunnel, and his rifle was gone. Another like ghost story was Joseph Mpoko, which I love the last name, pretty, pretty solid. Um, he believed that the ghost actually saved his life. There were two different occasions. The first one, there was a train that was coming by, and he heard, Joe, Joe, run, run, Joe, and he booked it, and all of a sudden, a train came by. And another one, um, he heard, Joe, drop, 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 Joe, Joe, drop, drop, and I guess this, like, electric bar came and just barely missed his head, Um, so, like, very intense moments. But the last moment that really got him scared and got him to leave was this giant tree. I think it was, like, 60 feet long or something like that. started falling, and he was just, he heard it, because, like, trees are loud when they fall. He started running for his life, and he heard this, what he described as inhuman laughing as the tree was falling towards him. (laughs) So that, that was the moment where he was like, maybe this job isn't for me, and he quit. But he still felt attached to the, to the place because he had two, well, technically he had three life-threatening moments, and two of them he felt like something saved him. So every year he would come back. But in 1977, he stayed home to take care of his ill wife. 
and unfortunately that year she died. And a lot of places where I read that information, they were like, kind of strange that the year he didn't go was the year that his wife died. And it's like, well, he stayed home to take care of his sick wife. So she was already sick before he didn't visit. So you can't really blame that on the ghost now, can you? Now, unfortunately, because the tunnel is still in constant use, the stories kind of end there. There's not any other ghost stories. Like, there were a couple paranormal people that came and they just said that they felt a spooky presence or they felt like heaviness because of whatever you want to call it. I don't really put too much weight behind the words that psychics say just because I've heard so many true crime cases of these psychics barging their way into investigations and telling these grieving parents or family members of a missing person these stories that either give them hope or make them lose hope and it's just horrible so I just don't really listen to stuff like that. Other than stories like that, like I said that's basically everything about the Hoosick Tunnel. You can visit it on the outside but you get a lot in trouble if you go on the inside and it's in Massachusetts so there's a lot of other awesome things in Massachusetts. I went to Boston last year, just want a quick brag, and it was so much fun. I didn't get to go to Salem though, so kind of bummed about that, but you know, that's okay. I'm definitely, definitely, definitely going back. Well, that was fun for me. Um, I want to thank you guys for sticking around, if you did. Uh, if you have any case suggestions or want to tell me a story about yourself or want to say something nice to me because I've had a hard week and I'd appreciate it, you can email me at the ydwkpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to see pictures that I will be posting about this case, it's the ydwkpodcast on Instagram. But I hope you guys have a great week and thanks for listening. Bye!